1: Welcome to Angry Americans. Welcome to episode 24. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. And if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. Mayhem. That's what we're experiencing. And that's the title of this song by Quintino and the great Steve Aoki. And it's a fitting theme for this episode and for this week in America and for the whole Trump presidency. Mayhem is what we're all living in, what we're all experiencing and what we're all suffering through. Every day, it feels like we wake up to some news perpetuating the mayhem. The mayhem is real. The mayhem is everywhere. And it's our world right now, and especially our country. Mayhem is our new normal. Mayhem is defined by Webster's as needless or willful damage or violence. And that's about right, especially when it comes to this president and this administration. Our country and our world We're all experiencing it. Living in the wake of his decisions and his delusions. And the mayhem is real.
2: And it's unavoidable. I'm a raccoon. And this time in your attic has been the best week of my raccoon life. I'm digging. I'm nesting in this fluffy stuff. I've already had like four babies. I'm the smartest raccoon I know.
1: Mayhem is everywhere. Yep. Mayhem is everywhere. Every morning and every night. Mayhem is shitting on Puerto Rico before and after a hurricane hits. Mayhem is drawing on a map of Hurricane Dorian predictions with a sharpie to make it look like the storm threatened Alabama, as he incorrectly said earlier. It's deepening that mayhem when the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration issued a statement backing mayhem against the opinions of its own experts. Mayhem is inviting the Taliban to secret peace talks at Camp David the week of 9-11 and then canceling the trip in a tweet, throwing the Afghanistan peace process into even worse chaos. Mayhem is firing John Bolton, your fourth national security advisor, but saying he resigned and him saying he didn't. Now, this example is some Trump mayhem that actually might be a good thing, Because it might mean, with Bolton gone, we're less likely to go to war with Iran. I dug deep into Bolton, Iran, and much more with Rachel Maddow on Angry Americans back in episode 7. You can find it at angryamericans.us. But in the end, Bolton being fired or resigned or whatever is just more upheaval, more instability, more mayhem. Mayhem is tweeting weird cat videos on a Saturday night. For real. At 11.57 p.m. on Saturday night, President Mayhem tweeted a weird-ass cat video. It has a still photo of him pointing at the now-notorious Hurricane Dorian map, and it has a cat in front of it, standing on the CNN logo, chasing a laser pointer, playing this crazy-ass Benny Hill music. Whiskey, tango, foxtrot. Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. And if that wasn't enough madness, the very next day, President Mayhem was attacking Chrissy Teigen on Twitter and John Legend. Trump called the model Chrissy Teigen filthy-mouthed, and he called musician John Legend boring in tweets on Sunday night. John Legend is
3: boring?
2: Come on in.
1: no man no John Legend is genius and unlike Trump John Legend is a man who knows a bit about love he knows how to communicate it and he knows how to embody it and John Legend is a new American icon and after a week like this we all need to channel little John Legend and get lifted because it's hard to take all this Every day, in every way, it's mayhem in America. It was true all summer, and now it'll be true all fall. Mayhem is here to stay. But the question is, how will we respond? As a nation, as a people, as individuals? When mayhem hits, how will you respond? Will you rise to the moment? Or will you avoid the reality? Will you answer the call? or will you shrink and hide? When things get the hottest, that's when we need to look for the light. And we're going to do that today and go deeper with a friend of mine from inside Afghanistan on 9-11. He's going to bring the light from deep inside Afghanistan, on the phone, on 9-11, with us. But when things get the hottest over there or over here, we need to look for the light. Whether it's a school shooting Hurricane Dorian, or the migrant crisis on our border? How will we respond as a nation? And how will we respond as individual citizens? That's the question. This week, and until further notice. This show is an examination of the American experiment. And I've warned that that experiment is more fragile and more in jeopardy right now than at any other point in modern history. And this show is a distress call, just like the upside-down flag on the cover graphic. The soul of America is being threatened by all this mayhem. And that soul is calling out for help. How will we respond? How will you respond? Especially this week. Will you be a helper? When the shit gets crazy, who do you want to be? Do you want to be Tom Brady? Or do you want to be Antonio Brown? Do you want to stand tall in the mayhem? Or create more of it? Because when it comes to mayhem, We've been here before. Thank you all. I uh, I want you all to know I want you all to know
3: that America today America today is on bended knee in prayer for the people whose
2: lives were lost here For the workers who work here, for the
3: families who mourn, this nation stands with the good people of New York City and New Jersey and Connecticut as we mourn the loss
2: of thousands of our citizens.
3: I can hear you!
1: Nineteen years ago, mayhem of a very different kind hit and consumed America like we've never seen before. And the test of our generation was put before us as a nation and as individual citizens one of the greatest tests in American history was put before our president and before all of us. And although that Bush-Bullhorn speech was incredibly inspiring and maybe the best of his presidency, George Bush failed the ultimate leadership test that followed. He failed. In comparison to the mayhem of Trump, maybe the stupidity of Bush doesn't seem that bad, but it was. In the times of greatest mayhem, the stakes are the highest and the tests are the greatest. And in that moment, as the nation And the world was united behind America. There was an unprecedented opportunity to unite everyone in the face of violence and hatred and mayhem. In every crisis, there is opportunity. But that opportunity was squandered. Epically, tragically, eternally. The nation was united. The world was behind us. And Bush blew it. He wasn't Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. He was Russell Wilson on the goal line. Play clock at five. Pass is intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Unreal. And just like in football, in politics, and especially in times of war, there are no takebacks. Bush blew it. And he blew it for so many reasons. But maybe most of all, because he didn't have a strategy. He didn't have a real plan, a strategic plan. Most people can't do strategy. That's what the great Les Gelb used to say to me. As I've shared with you before, Les Gelb's wisdom is eternal. He's the guy who told me, take vacation or you get stupid. Remember that from a few weeks ago? Les Gelb was right. Les Gelb was always right. And he's the man that I was honored to have fallen to my life as a result of 9-11. He was an example of a light I found in the midst of the darkness. And in that hard time for America, and a hard time for my life personally, Les arrived like a thunderbolt of wisdom and common sense. He was the finest, toughest, best leader, and best mentor I've ever known. And he passed away a little over a week ago. I've been devastated by it. I knew it was coming at some point, but that doesn't make it any easier. And I wasn't sure how and when to talk about Les. But given this is a week of 9-11, it just seemed right. Because when you feel loss, you have to think about the light. You have to appreciate the time you had, not just lament about the time you don't. It's also the right time to talk about Les Gell because he cared so much about this country and about strategy. Les Gelb was a true giant, a real leader, and a patriot, a diplomat, a journalist, the former president of the Council on Foreign Relations, a father, and a grandfather. He received the American Father of the Year Award in 1993. And most of all, Les Gelb was an American success story. He was a tremendous advocate for veterans, for the military, and for common sense, and the finest mentor possible to me and countless others around the world. He changed the world, and he challenged us all to do the same. And Les Gelb knew strategy. He mentored an entire generation of diplomats, generals, and business leaders. And he was a true
3: oracle. Tell me what (laughs) we have learned about power in the Iraqi war. Well, we've learned once again, you know, for the 100th time, that throwing good power after bad just means you lose power. One of the striking things about the debate now is how everyone agrees that Iraq was a strategic mistake, and yet many people continue to call it a vital interest. How can a mistake become a vital interest? Mistake is a mistake, and you compound it by adding to the commitment and lives and treasure.
1: Like some of my family, Les's family was Hungarian. Hungarian Jewish immigrants that ran a deli in gritty New Rochelle, New York. He worked his way through college as a dishwasher and a valet parking attendant. And he was the realest person I've ever met. He worked in a deli and he negotiated with the Russians. And he pissed people off in all the right ways. And he had so many great lines. And one of them was keep pissing people off. Les was good at pissing people off in all the right ways. And especially, when it came to activism and to turning your anger into impact and moving politicians who he was generally not fond of. He taught me about moving politicians and he was especially passionate about helping the helpers and especially helping vets.
3: I think back to what's happened to you vets, to vets generally throughout our history. And it's always been thus. It started with the Shays' Rebellion after the American Revolution, and right on up through the Civil War. Maybe the only time Vets got a a decent break was after World War II. Uh, There were so many of them. There was so much a part of the country. Everybody knew Vets. You couldn't ignore them. But then as we began to fight wars with fewer and fewer people and Americans knew fewer and fewer of them, we turned away again and ignored them. It's as if they weren't there. They were out fighting our good wars and our bad wars. And we turned away from them while they were fighting and after they were fighting. It's got to be fixed. And forgive me my language, but with those bastards in Washington, if you don't fight them, they won't do anything. They have to think you're going to throw them out of power if they don't take care of the vets. Otherwise, they're going to say all the right things, and they will do nothing.
1: He's right. If you don't fight them, they won't do anything. It's a lesson we again painfully saw this summer with the mind-bogglingly frustrating fight for 9-11 victims' compensation. But unlike Bush, Rob Sarah, Jon Stewart, John Feel and all our 9-11 first responders had a strategy. And they won. And we changed policy. Les also used to say, too much of what passes for policy is wish lists. And of course, he said, take vacation or you get stupid. And he said, always have a strategy. I never take a piss without having a strategy. Les had a strategy for everything, and especially for life and for service. His life is an example of service that will last forever. Rest in peace, my friend. We love you, and we salute you. And we will fight on always, inspired by your example. That's what the week of 9 11 is about. Fighting on in honor of those that led the way. Let's scale new strategy. The great ones do. But George Bush after 9 11? Nope. George Bush didn't do strategy. Sure, after 9 11, it started out promising as Bush and our leaders united over 40 nations and launched a coalition of allies into a war in Afghanistan codenamed Operation Enduring Freedom a war with a relatively focused and straightforward mission to knock the Taliban out of power in Afghanistan in order to deny Al Qaeda a safe base of operations to prevent future attacks like the ones on 9-11 and eliminate the enemy forces behind them and to send a message attack America and you will pay we will chase you we will find you and we will kill you remember that time
3: American Guys, we'll always stand up and salute we'll always recognize when we see old glory flying there's a lot of men dead so we can sleep in peace at night when we lay down our heads my daddy served in the army where he lost his right eye but he blew
1: a flag out in our it was cowboy time it was ass kicking time and it felt righteous. I won't lie. I love that fucking song. I played it all the time. And it felt good to punch back. But after a while, punching isn't enough. And you get exhausted by it. And it all quickly went far beyond that. A misguided war was launched into Iraq. The war in Afghanistan lost focus. Civil liberties were smashed at home. And our once united country was quickly divided. And our allies were divided. And our enemies were emboldened. We went from punching back to punching people around. And to punching in the dark. And the support and goodwill of the world was squandered. We went from being everyone's favorite to today being feared or hated by more of the world than at any other time in modern American history. Maybe in our entire American history. Iraq became the ultimate wrong turn that's led to our greatest runaway train in American foreign policy history, our forever wars. The war in Afghanistan is now the longest war in U.S. history, 17 years and 11 months, with no end in sight. Our war in Afghanistan is a teenager, a teenager. It's old enough to drive. It's old enough to make its own choices. It's old enough to get married to someone we don't like. If Mitch McConnell has his way, it's not old enough to use tobacco products. It's not old enough to drink, which I think is bullshit. I covered back in episode nine why I think it's bullshit that we don't have one uniform standard for adulthood in America and why it's another reason to vote Mitch McConnell out. But regardless, the war in Afghanistan is almost 18 years old now. It's old enough to legally do most things as an adult. And now it's also... Old enough to enlist. And so are children born after 9/11, 2001. Children born after 9/11 are now old enough to enlist to fight in the war in Afghanistan. Think about that. Let it sink in. The Afghanistan war is like Wooderson and Dazed and Confused."
3: Oh, okay. Let me out. Drug, man.
2: Get some from your mother, man.
3: Yeah,
2: we just banged your mother. Okay, fuck you, big head. life, nice, man. <laughs> God, man of the bunch. what's going on? God, I haven't seen you so long. My man, what just happened? Long time, no see.
3: <laughs> yes, sir. What have you been up to? Same old shit, man.
2: Yeah? Working for the city. Working, man, huh? Been thinking about getting back in school, though, man. Back in JC or something like that? Yeah, man. I mean... That's where all the girls are, right? Yes, they
3: are. <laughs> But on the other hand, man, I just as soon keep working. Keep a little change in my pocket. Yeah? Wait. Rather than spend my time listening to some dipshit who doesn't know what the hell he's talking about anyway. Yeah, I know
2: what you're talking about. Say, <laughs> so you're a freshman, right?
3: Yeah.
2: Well, so tell me, man, how's this year's crop of freshman chicks looking?
3: What, you're gonna end up in jail sometime really soon? I know that.
2: But... No, man. Yeah. No, I'll tell you. Yeah. That's what I love about these high school girls, man. I get older, they stay
3: the same age. Yes, they do.
1: (laughs) Yes, they do. Yep, the war in Afghanistan keeps getting older, and the troops stay the same age. And they never stop coming. There's a new crop every year. About 5.5 million troops have served since 9-11, and nearly 7,000 have been killed in Iraq and Afghanistan combined. And those people who've served included me and countless friends of mine, and includes three of the current leaders still running to be president of the United States, Pete Buttigieg, Tulsi Gabbard, and Joe Sestak. Forever wars that are fought with a historically small percentage of the American people, less than 1% of the American population has served since 9-11. Bush's greatest leadership mistake was not starting a war with Afghanistan. He wasn't even starting a war with Iraq. It was starting a war that the American people didn't have to be part of. 9-11 became a time for America to forever consider war not a personal threat, but a reality TV show. A draft wasn't ordered. Taxes weren't raised. He didn't even really encourage young people to enlist. And when the mayhem hit, he gave America a pass. In those days of mayhem that followed 9-11, every American was an angry American, and every American wanted to do something. Every American wanted to be a helper, and every American was looking for leadership. Every American was looking for guidance, for inspiration, for orders. And President George W. Bush failed to provide it. He failed to suggest any ways angry Americans could become impactful Americans. He failed to direct that nation's righteous, understandable anger into positive impact. And that, that is the epic failure of the Bush presidency and of the days after 9-11. Failures that have damaged America in ways that we are still paying for 18 years later. And that our grandchildren will pay for 90 years later. Because the AUMF, the Authorized Use of Military Force, the 2002 blank check war that has never been repealed, this can theoretically go on forever. Never forget, the AUMF allows more chaos, endless chaos, forever wars with a blank check and no congressional oversight, no public accountability, no social backstop. My wars may not only be the wars of my sons, but they may also be the wars of my grandsons and my granddaughters. And the likelihood is high they may have the option of serving in Afghanistan or at least in our forever wars somewhere else. Just like the noble, honorable, and incalculably and unforgivably abused men and women who have served in Iraq and Afghanistan and at least seven other countries our government acknowledges being at war with right now. Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, Yemen, Somalia, Libya, and Niger. Those are the ones the government publicly admits. But these men and women, they go over and over again. And now... Parents and children go over and over again. Daughters and sons are now serving in the same war that their mothers and fathers did. And they do it while most of America lives life uninterrupted. We used to say the military is at war and America is at the mall. And that's been the saying for years. Because back when these wars started, there were still people going to the malls. But now, after almost two decades, the malls are gone and our wars are not. We've been at war so long that when the war started, there were still Chess Kings and Spencer Gifts and Orange Juliuses all across America. On 9-11, we say never forget, but Afghanistan is now Forgotistan. The Pentagon announced last week that Sergeant First Class Ellis Angel Barreto Ortiz was killed Thursday in Afghanistan. Barreto Ortiz A 34-year-old paratrooper from Puerto Rico died when a car bomb exploded at a checkpoint near NATO headquarters in the U.S. Embassy in Kabul. Beretta Ortiz was a maintenance control sergeant assigned to Company H, 82nd Brigade Support Battalion, 3rd Brigade Combat Team, 82nd Airborne Division from Fort Bragg, North Carolina, the same place that just got hit by the hurricane. Those who knew Sergeant Barreto Ortiz, who was on his third deployment in Afghanistan, described him as, a compassionate leader whose two loves were his family and the Army. He grew up in a small town in Puerto Rico, the son of a career Army soldier, and joined the Army in 2010. He lived with his wife and two sons near Fort Bragg, where the 82nd Airborne is based. People who knew him said he gave little thought to the broader strategic posturing of our top leaders and instead focused on caring for the people around him. Sergeant Barreto Ortiz was a helper, And he was the 16th U.S. service member to be killed in Afghanistan in 2019. And three other American service members have been killed just in recent weeks. Everybody says, never forget. But let's be honest, most have forgotten. And just a few months ago, we saw how people had forgotten. We saw the heroes of 9-11 fight like hell to ensure America didn't forget. And to ensure America stepped up to take care of them and their kids and to send a message to future helpers that if you step up, you will not be forgotten. So attention must be paid because yet again, there is plenty in America that has me angry, that has many others angry, and should have everyone angry. And there's plenty of reason to believe that they have forgotten what the spirit of 9-11 is all about. There's plenty of reason to believe that our government and the president especially have forgotten. As I record this, news just broke that the Trump administration will not grant temporary protected status to the people of the Bahamas. Yet another example of the mean, isolationist, hateful, fearful tone and policies of this administration. In the past, countries that got hit by hurricanes have been designated for TPS, temporary protected status. Just as an example, in the late 90s, Honduras and Nicaragua were designated for TPS after Hurricane Mitch, and recently, Nepal was designated for TPS in 2015 after an earthquake killed more than 8,000 people there. Now, the Trump administration has moved to end TPS for many of the countries with the protection. But the courts have so far blocked that. And wouldn't you know, all these countries that we're talking about are largely made up of people of color. If an earthquake hit Sweden or Russia, of course, I doubt Trump would have the same reaction. This is what Never Forget looks like. Remember when 9-11 happened, when we needed support from other countries to help our citizens? Remember when diverted planes landed in Canada so they could unload Americans safely? What if we needed that help again? And it doesn't even have to be the full-on handmaid's tale, little America Canada shit. But what if we just needed basic help? If we remember the golden rule, shit like this is going to come back at us sooner or later. One day mayhem will hit America again in a new way. And you can pretty much ensure that the Bahamas won't be an option for us. Yeah, my friends, they've forgotten. You know who else has forgotten? The VA secretary. On 9-11, he's visiting Israel. Yeah, right? Strange at best. And this is not about Israel. I mean, but it is about the fact that our VA secretary should be here in this country on 9-11 when many first responders who are also veterans are facing devastating health impacts because of their exposures at Ground Zero. 9-11 hero and frequent guest of this show, Rob Sarah, tweeted this. As I lay here battling my way through another anniversary of 9-11, my Twitter feed is the Taliban being invited to Camp David, the VA secretary going to Israel on 9-11, and this Mueller shitstorm. You tell me this town ain't got no heart. Hashtag not helping. Hashtag angry Americans. Hashtag enough. Rob also took to Twitter to call out all the members of Congress who posted 9-11 never forget shit after voting against the 9-11 first responders bill just a few months ago. Rob Sarah, you got to love him. He's calling out the cowards and the political hacks who say they never forget. But they damn well forgot earlier this year when 9-11 first responders needed them the most like Representative Jody Heiss from Georgia's 10th Congressional District, or Congressman Ken Buck, representing the wonderful people of Colorado's 4th. Mr. Buck tweeted, It's hard to believe it's been 18 years. Many of us remember exactly where we were on 9-11. We remember the victims who lost their lives. We remember our first responders. And we remember how America came together against forces that threatened our freedom. We will never forget. Rob Sarah tweeted back, it's hard to believe it's just been two months since you voted no on the extension of the 9-11 VCF that takes care of sick and dying first responders. Now you conveniently want to remember, you forgot, sir. Hashtag fraud. Rob Sarah also lit up Representative Andy Biggs, representing Arizona's Fighting Fifth. Jody Arrington, proudly representing the good people of West Texas in Congress. Representative Andy Harris, who is also a doctor, representing Maryland's First District. He's an anesthesiologist. And he wrote, on this day of remembrance, we have to renew a resolve to fight radical Islamic terrorism wherever it threatens our civilization. We can never let our guard down. Hashtag September 11th. Well, Rob had something to say. He said, Rep. Andy Harris, MD, you should also remember those that died that day and all those who are suffering the devastating health effects from breathing in the toxic dust at Ground Zero. Right, Doc? Oh, and I'll remember, you voted no on the 9-11 VCF. How very American of you. Hashtag fraud. Congressman Ralph Norman was also in Rob Sarah's crosshairs. He proudly represents the 5th Congressional District of South Carolina. He tweeted, 18 years ago, heroism was revealed in the most ordinary people, as was the ability of the American spirit to prevail of the greatest of tragedies. Hashtag never forget. Hashtag Flight 93. Rob Sarah responded. Representative Ralph Norman, two months ago, you voted no on the 9-11 VCF, which helps those suffering and dying from 9-11 illnesses. You forgot. Don't worry, though. The American spirit prevailed. 402 to 12. Hashtag fraud. That was the vote. 402 to 12. So there are 12 that voted no. Look them up online and see all their tweets about how they never forget. And remember, they forgot. And never forget that only two senators voted no on the bill to renew 9-11 BCF. Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky and Senator Mike Lee of Utah. There are no take backs. Those votes are forever. And I hope the voters of their states will never forget. Look, if you're in Congress, we told you we never forget. And we mean it. We also told you we'd name names. So if you're listening to this pod while you're driving, come back later to this spot. Write down their names. Give them a call. And never forget. And never forget that these same cowards in Congress are allowing the president right now to snatch money from our troops to pay for the border wall. They are allowing and empowering this mayhem. And if you're not angry about this, you're definitely not paying attention. Because this week, we found out exactly what's going to get cut at the DOD to pay for the wall. After months of speculation, the Department of Defense announced which military construction programs would be scrapped to redirect funds to the wall along the Mexican border. The list of projects leaked quickly after the announcement and includes some projects that definitely didn't deserve to be scrapped. It includes the space control facility at Peterson Air Force Base. That's out. It also included a fire crash rescue station at Tyndall Air Force Base in Florida. Well, that's no more because who needs to worry about rescuing people from a crashed or flaming airplane, right? This is all covered in in a good article in the bulk work. The Child Development Center at Joint Base Andrews will not be built. Yeah, those youngsters that are ages six weeks to five years, they're probably going to be just fine at whatever school they have, which the Department of Defense obviously had previously considered adequate. They also can a middle school at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. Ambulatory Care Center at Camp Lejeune in North Carolina. That's not getting renovated. What else? The Laurel Bay Fire Station in Beaufort, South Carolina will not be replaced. Who needs a fire station, right? Joint Base Langley-Utis in Virginia will not get a new cyber operations facility. And here's a doozy. The hazardous material warehouse at Norfolk Navy Base in Norfolk, Virginia, that's not getting replaced because why would we need to warehouse hazardous materials, right? What could go wrong there? These are just some examples from inside the U.S. There are plenty of other programs being canceled in U.S. territories and bases overseas, in large part because they don't have congressional reps to fight for them. It includes schools, readiness centers, hazardous material storage buildings, repair facilities for stealth fighter jets, and lots and lots of training facilities. So the military construction budget got $3.6 billion ripped out of it to allegedly build over 100 miles of wall and fencing along the border with Mexico, the border which is 2,000 miles long. So they're going to build just over 100 miles out of 2,000 miles And in exchange, they're going to gut our military. Good thing nothing they canceled was all that important, right? And they continued to forget. This week, we found out another way the mayhem continued. Apparently, an Air Force crew had been making an odd stop on a routine trip. And they were stopping at Trump's Scottish resort. Now, this layover is part of a huge house inquiry into military spending at or around the Trump property. And Trump denied any involvement in a shift in military practice that would have allowed the Air Force crews to overnight at his luxury Turnberry Golf Resort. He said he knew nothing about it. But the Air Force on Sunday ordered a worldwide review of how the branch chooses overnight accommodations and its crews following a Politico report revealing that the House Oversight Committee was investigating an uptick in unusual stops there. According to a letter the Oversight Committee sent to the Pentagon in June, The military has spent $11 million on fuel at the Prestwick Airport, the closest to Trump Turnberry, since October 2017. So, that's bonkers. And also related to the military and things that are bonkers, last week we talked about Space Force, right? Well, another example of the mayhem. This week, a wacky congressman added to it. He said the U.S. Navy was withholding data on UFO sightings. top Republican on the House Homeland Security Committee is accusing the Navy of withholding information about reports of unidentified aircraft after officially requesting more data on the mysterious encounters. Representative Mark Walker of North Carolina, who is the ranking member on the Intelligence Encounterism Subcommittee, asked Secretary Spencer to outline what resources the Navy is dedicating to investigating the sightings. He asked if officials have found physical evidence to substantiate the claims and whether they are aware of any foreign nations or private companies that have introduced breakthrough technologies that could explain to them. Whiskey, Tango, Foxtrot. Despite the mayhem, there are some signs of hope. There's a new blood test that could help identify troops and veterans with PTSD. Leo Shane, again, at the Military Times, had this one. And he reported that physicians could potentially one day identify veterans of post-traumatic stress disorder through a quick blood test instead of using the complex psychological test. There's new research from the Army and some outside biometric experts that was published for the first time on Monday. So there's some good news. Other good news. There's a new entrant into the GOP primary field, which, in my view, needs all the mayhem we can get. Mark Samford announced he's launching a new primary challenge against President Trump. I'm running because I think we need to have a conversation about what it means to be a Republican. The more people who can take a shred of support away from Trump, the better. And another kind of mayhem from the sports world, good mayhem, Army almost beat Michigan. At Michigan! And as expected, in my view, a solid and respectable performance by Army and a really big step for their rapidly improving program. They're not just a good service academy football team. They're a damn good football team. I'm, I'm just incredibly proud of our, our players. They, they came into this game with the expectation to win. And uh, you know our superintendent, General Williams, our, our former superintendent, General Kaslin always said when, when the American people put boots on the ground, they expect to win. And that's just the heart of the American soldier right there. Those guys are going to fight. And uh, everybody that watched this, I, I, I hope it was a great representation of our United States Army and the grit and the toughness and the determination they have in the face of the enemy. And and uh, and I, I I'm just so proud of our team. We made mistakes, some things that we could have controlled that probably cost us the game. And those are the things that are going to hurt the most. But uh, we had some chances and, and credit Michigan. They got a great team, well coached, and they made the plays that counted to beat us. This. Monken is the coach Army's been looking for for decades. And worth noting, Oklahoma has signed up for a home-and-home with the Army football game, so they're coming to West Point next year. I think that's a good thing. Any team that comes to West Point is going to be better for it because Army represents that fighting spirit, the 9-11 spirit. And college football is often what's great about sports in America. And the NFL found a way to remind us it's often an example of the worst about sports in America. Look, I love the NFL as much, probably more than most people. But the NFL has again reminded us why they are so damn annoying. No, I'm not talking about Antonio Brown or the Jets. There's something that has me angry, has many others angry, and should have everyone angry. And I think it's something that is ultimately un-American. There was a tie this weekend in the NFL. Yes, a tie in football. American football. This is not AC Milan versus Manchester United. This is the NFL. The Indianapolis Colts and Los Angeles Chargers headed into overtime in week one, with the Chargers scoring a touchdown on their first position to win, 30 24. So there was almost a tie there. But about an hour later, the Arizona Cardinals and Detroit Lions also went into overtime, and the teams traded field goals, and the game ended in a 27 27 tie. Ties should be banned. That is all. Never forget it. Yeah, I'm talking to you, Roger Goodell. The national anthem thing, we could debate that all day long. But if you want to spike your popularity ratings higher than the video of those two toddlers running toward each other and hugging, get rid of the ties. Never forget that. It's mayhem, and it needs to end. But if mayhem is the challenge, and the choices we make define the future, the days after 9-11 showed us how some answered the call. It was a time that defined what it means to be a helper. I saw it myself as I stood in the pile at Ground Zero in the days after 9-11. People helping in any way they can, digging with their hands, helping their neighbors, rising to the moment, responding to the mayhem. That's the choice before us now. Are we going to be a helper or are we going to make things worse? The choice is yours. It's all about what you decide and how you approach it. Because even on our darkest days, good things can emerge. The mayhem can give birth to beautiful and amazing things if you let it. It's like Stephen Colbert talked about a few weeks ago with regard to trauma. He's thankful for the hardest times.
2: It's about the fullness of your humanity. Mm -hmm. What's the point of being here and being human if you can't be the most human you can be? I'm not saying best, because you're going to be a bad person and Mm -hmm. a most human. I want to be the most human I can be. Mm And that involves acknowledging and ultimately being grateful for the things that I wish didn't happen because they gave me a gift.
1: It's true. Suffering is real. Suffering is inevitable. But out of the suffering, out of the worst, can come some good. That's how I look at 9-11 now and how I look at the times in my life and in our lives that are the hardest. Without 9-11, I never would have found my calling to serve veterans. I never would have met so many inspiring, amazing heroes like my friend Rob Sarah. I might never have gotten in an advocacy. And I never would have met my wife. 9-11 led me to Iraq. And it led me to found IAVA. Which led me to create a board that included an awesome guy named Gabe Kleiman. Who worked at a place called CAA. Where he knew an awesome gal named Lauren Hale. Who he introduced me to who I met in a blind date in the middle of a snowstorm on the Lower East Side back in 2008. If not for 9-11, I never would have met her. And I never would have had two amazing children. So while I'm obviously not grateful 9-11 happened, I appreciate the fact that even in the darkest days of my life, the darkest days I've ever seen for our country, beautiful light can come out of it. Good things can come out of almost anything. That's the approach I take to life, and especially to times of mayhem. And it's how we should all approach these times of mayhem in America. The age of Trump is a dark time, but a generation of activists are coming out of it. A generation of changes will be made because of it. And I'm sure, in some winding ways, marriages, babies, and countless other beautiful things will come out of it. We all make mistakes. We all fuck up. We all experience loss. But we can find a good thing or two, and we can get one thing right.
0: Known to be crazy, known to be wild, mama
3: had herself a little devilish child, you know, stranger to the troubles at my door. I've been at the wrong place at the wrong time. Chasing all the wrong things most of my life. And every kind of loss that you can't find. But I got one thing right. Been the kind of guy girls' mamas don't lie. Running with the wrong crowd on the wrong nights. Cause I've been wrong about a million times. But I got one thing right. You got one thing right.
1: But we got to look for the helpers. And look for the light. Pushed through the mayhem. World Suicide Prevention Day was this week, and I've lost far too many friends to suicide. And I've been down. I've had days when it feels like I can't go on. But I pushed forward, and I got through it. And if that's you right now, or anyone you know, know that you can get through it too. The week of 9 11 is really hard for many folks. These times in America are very hard for many folks. The stress of all this mayhem is sometimes overwhelming. But if you're listening to this, you're not alone. And there's hope. And every day is a chance to do more and to take care of each other. IAVA is leading the way for vets, but it's not just about vets. It's about everyone. And it's about knowing you're not alone. So look for the helpers. If you need them, they're out there. I saw that on 9-11. I saw it in Iraq. And I saw it in countless times in my life when there's mayhem. And if you're out of the storm yourself, this is a time to look back and pull a few others through. Or just one. That's the way to truly honor those that died in 9-11. That's the way to truly never forget. And in this episode, we're going to go even deeper. I've got a very special interview with one of the helpers. Someone who is literally on the front lines of our wars on 9-11. 19 years later. I'll call my friend Jonathan. Jonathan is serving in Afghanistan right now in the U.S. military. He's there hours after a rocket exploded at the U.S. embassy. On the anniversary of 9-11, a rocket exploded in Afghanistan. And it was after a brutal week of casualties and chaos and mayhem. Jonathan is a very smart dude and a courageous one. He served overseas in our conflicts multiple times before. And this week, especially, as our president considered inviting the Taliban to Camp David on 9-11, we'll talk to a man who has thoughts on that, perspective on what's happening on the ground in Afghanistan, and what 9-11 means after all these years. And of course, he'll get the car question. It's a groundbreaking way to tackle this week. I'm protecting his identity so he can talk candidly, and so his family's protected, and so you can hear the truth. What we in the military often call the ground truth. The real truth of what's happening on the ground in Afghanistan. In your name, 19 years after the attacks on our nation. The spirit of 9-11 is about responding to mayhem. The spirit of 9-11 is not just about tragedy, it's about triumph. The spirit of 9-11 is about resilience, and it's about rebuilding, and it's about responding to adversity. 9-11 is about the very best of what America can be. And it doesn't have to be a depressing thing. We have to honor those we've lost and recognize the trauma we've experienced collectively and individually. We can honor the spirit of the people we've lost. And if we really want to honor that spirit, we've got to channel them as our inspiration for the future. We mourn their passing. We celebrate their lives. No matter how long or how short. They can help us realize how fleeting life can be. And how we're all interconnected. And how we can all make an impact. Don't wait until you're retired to get involved. Or until the next tragedy. You can get involved now. And you can make a difference now. 9-11 was a time when people stepped up and saved countless others. It was a time where helpers helped on a level that's almost unimaginable. And the heroes of that day are the names that should live on forever in the spirit of this country. Like Todd Beamer who was aboard United Airlines Flight 93 when it was hijacked. He was one of the passengers and flight crew who fought to regain control of the aircraft from the hijackers. Beamer, along with Mark Bingham, Todd Burnett, and Jeremy Glick, formed a plan to take the plane back from the hijackers. They were joined by other passengers, including Lou Nacky, Rich Guadagno, Alan Beaven, Elizabeth Wainio, Linda Gronland and William Cashman, along with flight attendant Sandra Bradshaw and C.C. Ross Lyles. They came up with options and voted on a course of action. In the mayhem, they had a strategy, and they ultimately decided to storm the cockpit and take over the plane. Beamer told GTE supervisor Lisa Jefferson that the group was going to jump on the hijackers and fly the plane into the ground before the hijackers' plan could be executed. Beamer recited the Lord's Prayer with Jefferson, prompting others to join in. And Beamer told Jefferson, if I don't make it, please call my family and let them know how much I love them. After this, Jefferson heard muffled voices and Beamer clearly answering, are you ready? Okay. Let's roll. Let's roll. That's the fighting spirit of 9-11 our kids should know about. The same fighting spirit, the spirit of the helpers. This is a time for that to happen again. Just like on 9 9-11, 18 years ago, we got to rise to the moment in the face of the mayhem now and whatever comes our way and the four eyes can be at your back. And just like on nine 11, they'll help you find the light in the midst of all the heat, integrity, information, impact, inspiration. They're a guide for the show and how to never forget and how to become a helper. Nine 11 is about the helpers. And what nine 11 showed us is that anyone can be a helper and we need helpers now more than ever this is angry americans episode 24. let's roll Americans worldwide. We have a very special, very timely, very unique interview for this episode. On the line with me right now, I have a friend of mine who is currently serving on the ground in Afghanistan in the United States military. Uh, for the sake of conversation, we've set some ground rules to protect his identity. Um, and I will start by saying, is it okay if we call you Jay?
2: no we're gonna, we can we can call me jonathan
1: okay then we're going to call you jonathan and i am calling you from downtown new york city on nine eleven, about five blocks away from ground zero and jonathan thank you for joining us tell everybody where you are right now
2: i am in afghanistan uh, i'm in afghanistan i'm in one of our larger uh bases uh hanging out in my office uh you know we uh and uh, as we had, as we were trying to make this technical extravaganza work, the genius that, that is Paul Rykoff, uh, I we and we had a good time getting indirect fire. So uh, the war is still happening in spite of people's, uh, you know, sadly, you know, the lack of attention.
1: So that that's one of many reasons why I want to. So explain to people what incoming is. And what that is like, like before we were were trying to hook this phone call up and you said, hold on a minute. I got to call you back. I think we have incoming. And then you said, yep, I do have incoming. Got to go. So explain to folks who maybe don't know what that means, what that means.
2: Absolutely. So incoming means incoming indirect fire. So it means either a mortar or some other kind of thing. Now, I'm on a bigger base the chances, and I had to explain this to my parents once when I flippantly said, oh yeah, no, we get indirect fire, you know, a couple times a week, not a big deal. And they, of course, understandably, as parents would, uh, they they were more than a little concerned. And uh, I had to explain to them that number one, the base is probably the size of O'Hare Airport. Um, And, you know, somebody, I think one person has gotten hurt uh, the entire calendar year. Uh, from indirect fire. Now, you know, if if you and I walking around New York City on any, you know, in a year, I mean, our chances of getting killed by the random uh, taxi or Uber driver, probably much, much higher. So it sounds very dangerous, which is not to say that we take it uh, lackadaisically. But at the same time, it's, uh, you know, we're not like hitting a bunker every 15 minutes or even every day. Um, you, you know, it's still the same thing. You know, you stay alert, stay alive, but it's, Um, but it's a real,
1: it's a real threat. And when we say indirect, absolutely absolutely a real threat, indirect means it's It's, something that's shot up in the air and then comes down. So it could be a mortar, a rocket, artillery, anything of that kind.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Usually it's a mortar or a rocket that they set up in some kind of an improvised manner. Um, usually artillery requires an entire firing system like a really big gun that's about the size of a car which you know speaking as an angry americans fan i'm looking forward to the time when we get to go to the car uh your car place and have a whiskey so that is fun i get back When,
1: when you get home maybe we'll even do a live event but you will come to the car club there will be whiskey there will be celebrations. Uh, we will keep folks updated about your status as best as we can while protecting the confidentiality and secure nature of your method of employment. Um, but to, to ground people in some more perspective, so I'm talking to you now, and it's about 1130 a.m. in New York. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it's uh, about almost 8 o'clock p.m. where you are in Afghanistan, right? Cause it's like it's Because it, what's weird about Afghanistan is it's GMT++. plus. Four minutes, four hours and thirty
2: minutes. So it's one of those That's weird correct. time
1: zones where you're a half time, where you're a half hour ahead of us, right? And a half hour. That's hour absolutely correct,
2: ahead. and that has and that has absolutely made me late on any number of different conference calls. But it's really fucked up. It's like it's a very difficult thing. Like normally in the civilian world and pretty much every other experience in my life, when you're talking to somebody
1: in a time zone, it's on the hour. But I'm on the half an hour. Exactly. And you're on and you're on the hour. Yeah.
2: No, that's absolutely true. Like, I mean, uh, you know, your show's Angry Americans. This is definitely an angry thing for me. It's an ongoing frustration. Uh, you know, it's certainly not the the thing I'm angriest about, but, but certainly, uh, you know, that half hour, man, that, that, that'll screw you up. You'll be the half an hour late, half an hour early. It happens to me all the time. I now have, it's like kind of like an app on my computer to just tell me what time it is on every time zone. And some people have, you know, the wall clocks that, you know, look very, impressive but at the same time it's just so people can keep the keep the time straight so one one of the many challenges
1: yeah. of serving in afghanistan so just again to kind of ground <laughs> people you and i have known each other for decades now one of the things that yeah we've I known most each other proud at least of, 10 years yeah but one of the things i am most proud of is at one point when you came home from a deployment you presented to me
2: a flag that was flown over a base in afghanistan on 9-11 which that is true that was that was literally seven years ago, uh, so eight years ago. Sorry, I'm sorry, I'm dating myself. It was eight years ago. I was a headquarters commander in uh, in Kabul, and uh, had the privilege of uh, having my own flagpole. And so I made it a point to fly a flag for you. Uh, and certainly, of course, and, and and I really want can't say this I can't say enough great things about you, even though I know it's not. It's really not the Paul Rykoff show, but at the same time, it is. And, and the things that you have done for all of us, all veterans, you know, I, can't, I want to publicly thank you. I want to thank you also for this show, because I have learned a lot. And like Rob, Sarah, and, you know, the, the Americans that are fighting for their lives uh, that, that devoted themselves to 9-11. And I, like you, was a few blocks from, I mean, I was actually many blocks from 9-11, but I was on, in Manhattan on September 11th. In 2001, eight, you know, 18 years ago, and so um, you know, it's always it, it was pretty prescient eight years ago, you know, to be there to be here in Afghanistan on the 10 year anniversary, and then again to be here now, um, you know, it's 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 a heady thing, you know, meeting kids, you know, I, I see privates, you know, and they're you know they're 18, 19 years old, you know, they they they, they, didn't, they were babies or sometimes even not born. You know when nine eleven happened. I mean, we're seeing we're starting to see that, and that's it's a weird thing. It's all weird, right?
1: Like this whole. I I was just walking my kid to school, and I'm talking in the podcast this week about how you can find light in the mayhem, and you have to try to find positivity out of even the darkest days. And what's kind of full circle for me is my son asked me last night, he's four years old, to explain the lights which are just, he can see them out the window of his room, which is totally full circle, mind blowing for me. But I tried to think about how to explain this day to him in a way that was positive. What I told him was, on your way to school today, you're gonna see so many fire trucks. And today is a day about firefighters. And there's nobody that he loves more than firefighters. And actually, Rob Sarah is gonna be at a dinner at my house tonight celebration of life dinner that next year when you're home, I insist you attend, but it, it is kind of surreal. And, but I'm trying to find ways to teach my children about it and to teach them the history and to teach them about how, you know, even in the darkest of days, good things can come of it. And I think your leadership and service is an example of that, that good thing that can come out of the bad. But Jonathan, can you tell people just as a baseline about your background as much as you're able? Um, you're an educated sure. man, you're an experienced man, you've worked in many places in many ways serving this country before and after 9-11, but you are, as all my guests are, an important, iconic, or inspiring American, and I think you are an American leader who's been behind the scenes for much of America's forever wars. But t- tell people about your military role and your service and what you can without telling everybody who exactly you are.
2: Yeah no I mean I I yeah no no I appreciate all that and you know speaking of you know firefighters you know I had the privilege of meeting a couple firefighters before nine eleven that that were lost and um, you know and I like you you know also lost um, a couple of other friends on on nine eleven and you know the remarkable thing about it you know just what you were saying about t- you know how do you explain this to a four year old um, you know it, it's it's truly I think a an expression of what is best in America and i know that's one of the highlights in your show and i know it's one of the highlights in your life but you know the the service and the coming together and when challenge stepping up uh, as so many Americans did, either on that day or the days after, and taking care of, whether it was people who were stranded at the airports because of the grounding of flights, whether, you know, and so many people don't even remember that, whether it was the the welcoming, um, you know, of, uh, and the firefighters and the rescue workers that came out from around the country to support people. Um, you know, it was, it really was, um, at its best and, you know, and I know you experienced that being down on ground zero. I experienced that, you know, just being, you know, I mean, I was staying up on the Upper East Side at the time. So not what you would call rough living by any means, but it was, uh, you know, it was a heady experience to be able to smell the buildings, you know, burning for for weeks afterwards. And I I still remember that smell vividly. Um, And uh, you know, anytime I sort of smell something like that, you know, it just, it definitely like brings me right back there um but but for, you know for me um Tell us, yeah i you know, want to jump in if i like, can so some, i read
1: i read online this morning someone said it was kind of twisted but but it was accurate it said you know it's 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 a smell you never forget it's kind of like your mom's cooking and like yeah, it, it, there's no, no other way it's to it's a, it's a sick but accurate way of describing that there's no other way to describe it except to know it if you know it and and that yeah. is something I'm always hypersensitive to. Living and having a family just blocks away from that. But I wanna I wanna really push you on this and, tell, it,
2: tell yeah, us no, what your jo- just tell us what the, your job the is. One of quick things that I want to say that, yeah, I think, that I think is important, and I think and I think you'll appreciate is like it took me, you know, and especially like for your kids. I mean, it took me it took me years after they built the nine eleven memorial to make it down there. You know, I mean. I mean, I knew it was down there. I knew what it represented. I mean, but it still, you know, and I knew that I had three friends that I had lost that I knew, two that I knew uh, well, one that I knew in passing that was just a, who was just a great guy. But, you know, it was, uh, it still took me years. I mean, it had been, I I don't remember remember when it, when it, I don't remember when the memorial opened, but it still took me a while to make it down there. And it was just, it's just an intense experience, I think, for all of us that were in New York on that day. Um, to kind of come back to.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I would actually, I think the first time I went to the museum was only a little over a year ago. And um, yeah. It's actually the harder part for me is to go up into the tower. And uh, I actually ha- now have business meetings there. Like I had a meeting at Spotify, which is headquartered in the World Trade Center One now, the Freedom Tower. And then I went to visit another friend whose company's there. And um, he tried to cancel on me right before the meeting. And and I said, dude, I came all the way down here. I'm in this building. And he's like, yeah, but, you know, I had something come up. I'm like, dude, I'm walking into this place. And he's, oh, you're one of those people. And I said, what what the fuck does that mean? He's like, you're one of those people that's really, you know, freaked out by this. I said, dude, for me, this is like going to the cemetery. This is like going to visit, you know, your grandfather at the cemetery, your friends at the cemetery. This is, this is, they built a giant skyscraper. And Spotify is now headquartered where our friend died. It's, it's, I'm I'm okay with that, but it's not easy, right? Like uh, you know, it, it, this triumphant return of Lower Manhattan is, is incredible, but it's never going to be, you know, something I can digest easily to just go up to a regular old meeting. But talk, Jonathan, right. talk about
2: your military service. Tell
3: us what you yeah, do yeah, next, no, and understand. So
2: um, yeah, so so after um, shortly about a year or so after 9 11, I as new york was churning through and change, you know the economy was doing weird things i ended up uh not my my employment contract in new york uh, ended up ending and i decided i was trying to figure out what i was going to do next and i opted actually uh actually to go up and uh do a an, do a master's degree uh up at harvard and then um i did a master's degree for a couple years um, it was a fascinating experience. I was looking at some of maybe the origins of, of, of you know, I think a lot of us, you know, were asking, like, why did this happen and, and what were the dynamics that led this to happen and how are we, how are we kind of not engaged in the world? And I, I just experienced a lot of uh, really amazing things up there. And then, um, you know, and then I was opting about what I was going to do next. And I, I realized I could do something political. That was sort of always a calling for me. but. And I was thinking about coming back to new york um but I ended up uh sort of having a conversation with myself and and I think a lot of us did um you know which was uh you know i i I have an opportunity like i I am a single you know I'm a single guy, and I've thought about joining the military in the past, and you know I'm not getting any younger God knows I was not getting in any better shape, and so I just i had to have a conversation with myself like I got to do this now, like this is a perfect time to do this, like just life wise. Um, Or I I need to be okay that I'm not going to do it, like at all this lifetime. Uh, And um, I sort of had that conversation with myself. And I had it for a couple weeks. And I had the conversation around with a couple friends. And I kind of was trying on a number of A number of different arguments that were sort of making sense to me and a couple of other things and i told some friends oh you know i'm trying to get in shape or some other silliness that just it was just i was sort of grasping at understanding the true origins of of what it meant to appreciate service and i didn't know how to articulate it very well um and so i opted i you know i said i said this country you know this country and by this country of course i mean america even though i'm i'm here sitting on the ground in afghanistan But, uh, you know, this country has just done amazing things for me, for my family, Um, you know, nowhere but America uh, could, you know, could mine and so many other people's stories be a reality. And I always took that very much to heart. And so um, I opted to volunteer. I was in a situation also because of Harvard that I couldn't afford to be an enlisted guy. Uh, So I opted to be an officer. Uh, and, I, and I joined. I joined up and I uh, I went through, uh, you know, the whole officer route of things. And I was on active duty for for about, uh, you know, four ish years. Uh, and I did two tours in Iraq and I, um, I, I had a great experience uh, on both tours. And, and I just finally kind of what ended up taking me off of active duty. Um, and I know there are plenty of people who who listen to you who will appreciate this is just sort of. The bureaucracy of the military is sometimes just a crushing, crushing experience, um, and uh, I just I, I got very frustrated. Um, but I wanted to continue being involved, and so I stayed involved uh, in in uh, in the reserves, um, and I stuck with it. And then I actually ended up getting. Getting involved in politics in the 2008 campaign, and that, I think that's where we first really met and first really talked. I think we had probably talked before over email and whatnot when you we were first doing Operation Truth and all that fun stuff, uh, the beginning days of IAVA, uh, with so many fantastic people that that you know we both know and love, and. Um, and uh, so, but you know, I got involved in politics in the two, during the 2008 cycle. That took me to Washington. Um, I was I was privileged to serve, a couple of different places in Washington. Um, but I realized more and more because, as because, I was because getting because
1: bureaucracy in the military wasn't enough. You had to go even further, right, <laughs> and go into the bureaucracy
2: of Washington, which makes the yeah, military. No, I mean, well, which makes the military I mean, like feel so like so many, a many bar, other
3: right?
2: like so many other naive people. You know, I thought you know i could i could help change i could help bring some change and uh you know i did some i did some great things i did some foolish things like all the, like like every every life experience um but uh i got really hungry to be back on the ground um and i know that there's that there's a lot of people out there that that kind of tend to feel that you know it's like they they you know, they take the higher rank or they take the next job and then they like look wistfully back at, you know, being on the ground and being in the thick of things. Be, sometimes even, you know, it's 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 like those soldiers that just crave combat and crave being in a combat zone. And I, and I always remember actually one of the first senior officers who I worked for, who's now a, uh, you know, who's now um, a three-star general officer um, and a great, great guy. But uh, I remember him saying, he says, listen, you know, We've been to war a lot, and we have a lot of kids who are really good at killing, and we have to be able to work them down off of that kind of level of amplification, you know, and, and that level of, of adrenaline. Um, you know, they've been going after the enemy. I mean, these are not good people. I mean, the, the things that some of these people do, it doesn't—I'm saying the enemy, um, you know, be it Iraq or be it Afghanistan, they do truly horrible things to innocent civilians. And for and the, whatever sin that the American military uh, commits, of which there are numerous, I, I by no means will ever say that we're perfect. Um, but we absolutely, uh, you know, the, the very very rare times when there have been individuals or units that have targeted civilians, they I have always been very impressed by how people, uh, people and senior officers have have worked to stop that legally mil, through military action. Uh, in terms of you know the Uniform Code of Military Justice, which, as you know, is the military justice system, um, these things are not tolerated in our ranks, um, and they certainly are not tolerated for long. I mean, you know, we all, everybody sort of hears about things, but but there's I have a couple never of points I, I want to
1: drill I want to drill down on yeah. with that on that, Jonathan. Absolutely. And one in particular, like a lot of our audience is made up of vets, first responders, military families, but a lot of them aren't. And you said something that that I want to ask you to to explain. You said I did two tours in Iraq and they were good experiences. That that sometimes blows people's minds. Can you explain why you said that and what you mean?
2: So I was sort of saving this for because you told me we had to, I I had to we we're going to do this as a standard fantastic brilliant amazing Amer- angry Americans episode and so I was saving this for my happy my happy answer so I'm going to do my happy answer first okay i totally okay. violate and you're going to forgive me because I'm because I'm no, no, no.
1: I, let me let um, me pause and ask you then let me pause and ask you Jonathan yeah. Jonathan X what makes you happy
2: so what makes me happy um, is serving to. The left and the right of the finest Americans that anyone will ever see. Um, I cannot tell you enough times when I have seen the work ethic, the character of American service members, and it never ceases to it never ceases to amaze me under pressure Under the worst sets of circumstances, their battle buddy has just been killed, so on and so forth. Things that would make regular, normal people curl into a fetal position and cry. And these guys step up every single time. It's um, it's the one thing I would say is probably the greatest honor I think I can consider having in my life. Um, that I have been permitted to, to be a witness to this kind of character that, that absolutely makes me happy. Um, these are normal people. Like these are normal guys. They're people who, who, you know, you would not, would not strike you as remarkable or amazing. They don't have amazing degrees. They haven't done quote unquote amazing things. They just do the right thing it's and i'm not even doing justice in in, in articulating it no but you do are. it every day you are. And, and and the, and the, emotion,
1: the emotion in your voice also uh does it justice i think anyone listening can hear the sincerity and the depth and the power and i understand it i think many other people will understand it um and I, i'm grateful that, that you shared it um you're a thoughtful guy. You're you're a, you're a big thinker, but you also understand the ground truth. Um, what 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 does America need to know about what's happening in Afghanistan right now? I call it, you know, I use the hashtag Forgotistan. Everybody says yeah. around nine eleven, never forget, but we've forgotten about the AUMF that provides a blank check for our government to go to war forever without any regulation or, or responsibility um americans continue to die in afghanistan and around the world in places that many folks can't find on a map um but but afghanistan started one month after nine eleven. what what do what do people listening right now need to know about afghanistan right now
2: yeah so i uh, i think a couple things both on kind of a macro and a micro sense um You know, you certainly know my politics. I am by no means a fan of uh, the politics of of President Trump. Um, I will say, though, that I don't know that he was necessarily wrong in what he did and how he handled um, the response to the action. It's It's a little easy for me to say that, being on the ground, because as you know from having been on the ground, and certainly many of your listeners who have been, you react on the ground, you know, you react to the both the emotion and the impact of combat on the ground. And it's difficult to kind of have a broader perspective. But like you said, I've ha- I've been in some of those rooms where big decisions have been made. And I always, you know, whenever anybody always gets impressed by my background, I always like remind people that I'm sort of like, I'm sort of like the Forrest Gump, like I've just wound up in like some really weird places and been like, Oh, my goodness, I can't believe I'm here. Um, I would say, in terms of your point about forgot to stand I think it's absolutely fair like people do not appreciate the continuous sacrifice that people have made. I mean, I have been in the reserves the last oh what has it been It's been like about a little over ten years I've been in the reserves in one form or another, and I've only done two combat tours including you know uh, one in two thousand eleven and then and then the one now um that's in addition to the two tours in Iraq um, that I did before and I haven't deployed that much I mean there are guys that have done the 8 9, 10 deployments now you know some of them are 6 months but some of them are 15 months I mean it's just we are a deploying military and it's really it's going to it's taking its toll on the force but back to kind of the broader the broader kind of strategic implications these are this is not an easy problem and I think so many times uh, one of our biggest challenges in both in American politics as well as in kind of American international relations is is staying the course and figuring out sort of a broader strategic understanding of what our end state needs to be and how to work towards it. Um, you know, I don't know, I don't remember if you ever had the chance to kind of, you know, do op orders and do like kind of any kind of military planning kind of things, but you know, one of the things that's absolutely required is end state, like what do you want the end state to be? And then what resources are you prepared to commit to making sure that that end state happens? Because you can sit here and tell me, okay, I need you to take the hill, but then if I come back to you with a plan that says, hey, I need the following things, then you say, hey, listen, I'll tell you what, I'm gonna give you half of that, Back to the Donald Rumsfeld, you know, you go to war with the army that you have rather than the army that you want. I mean, on a certain level, that's true. And on another level, that's total bullshit. Because in an, on a number of these different conflicts, we are self-inflicting pain on ourselves. Um, you know, certainly the Iraq war that you experienced was absolutely, you know, w- we went to war, a war of choice. And we went to a war ill-prepared uh, while we were fighting another war. And we and we did so both strategically, as well as um, as well as sort of operationally. Tactically, we could always like you know this is how we sort of redo Vietnam every single time, which is that we win every battle. Like there's just there's not a battle that we really lose, but we keep losing wars. And and why is that? And I don't think we're thinking enough. About why those things keep happening, I don't think we quite grasp um, what is happening within both the broader strategic narrative as well as in the information space. So, John, um, John to we,
1: that to that point, the, yeah. the troops that you serve with, do they know why they're there? I mean, you could give me the line about they're there for their brothers and sisters, but I would venture Absolutely. to say, but I, but I don't, I don't. If you ask a hundred troops over there right now, why are we in Afghanistan? You might get 30 different answers, right? Easily. But like, do you think they know why the government is sending them there? Do you think they know why the president is keeping them there?
2: I think I even have a tough time answering that. And like you said, you know, I'm an educated guy and I've gone to, I've, I've thought a lot about this stuff. And even on occasion, I've written about this stuff, Um. I have a tough time necessarily appreciating it because I'm still confused about what the end state is. So the answer is no, you know,
1: right? Like the answer is
2: no. The answer, I, I wouldn't say that the answer is no. I would say the answer is I don't know, which is different than a no. I appreciate the,
1: the nuance of that, and it also shows your background in, in politics, right?
2: <laughs> but
1: yeah, but would, I mean, listen, listen, we're, we're good, good enough, enough friends friend, that you can certainly you can tell me tell I'm me full, full of, of shit. shit. No, no, I I don't think you are. I just, I think it, I think it it cuts to the core of, in some ways, why this has been allowed or supported to go on for so long. I mean, in the early days. And to your point about forgetistan,
2: but to your point about forgetistan, this is why it's easy to forget it. It's easy to forget it because it's hard.
1: Yeah, but it also compounds. It compounds the difficulties that everyone experiences when they don't have a clear mission and they don't know what that hill is that they're trying to get to. Maybe I want to ask you to. I know it's a difficult position to put you in, but I'm also asking you to be kind of a you know the the delegate from planet Afghanistan to the people of America on behalf of their own. (laughs) Like you're over there right now, and people must have heard that Trump had a plan to bring the Taliban to Camp David. Today, this week, nine eleven. How do are people talking about that? What do they think about it? And and you know, that's a long question. But what do you think about it?
2: So I just sort of heard about it over the last couple of days. Like I am kind of in the middle of of, of logistical stuff, so I'm worried about uh, quite literally the canal that's getting dug on my on my camp, and I'm worried about billeting for for soldiers. So so like. Occasionally, like I get to the news, and I've been doing. Uh, I, I, this is a fairly, even though I've been here for six months or so. Uh, this is a relatively new job for me, so I'm still trying to get my arms around it. So I'm more worried about toilets and you know piping and you know those fun things because somebody has to worry about it. Um, but but you know, so I am just sort of grasping about how like the you know that John Bolton got fired and the whole you know once again we're upending the national security team. Um, you know, I, I think that there's no way that this is going to be easy. There's just no way it's going to be a simple answer. And there's no, I don't know that there's a right answer.
1: But what was your immediate Um, reaction when you were in Afghanistan? My immediate reaction was... And you heard that right now, right? Like the way it works over there, you're behind the news cycle. Sometimes you're just too busy. I mean, average Americans are too busy to keep up with the... Yeah, they're too busy to keep up with with the mayhem of this news cycle. But if you woke up and, tomorrow, and, and by the
2: way, that's usually a good thing because I don't have to care about what's getting tweeted out one sure, day next. sure. But so I count that as a plus.
1: If you woke up this morning, or actually, you know, your morning was our was our night. So it, it's always nine eleven over there before it's nine eleven over here. But if you woke up Absolutely. on nine eleven and heard that the Taliban were at Camp David. What would you have, what have you, what would you have felt? Would you have, would you have been okay with that?
2: I think I, you know, I mean, I, I was listening to, again, I, I can only answer to sort of, it wasn't, that was not the big deal to me. Um, that, that, that symbolism, and I get it. I mean, and, you know, and I was there and I've lost guys and I've lost guys in combat and I've lost guys in, uh. You know, I lost friends, you know, on September 11th, and that, for whatever reason, that didn't strike, you know, strike me as, like, the worst thing ever, and it it kind of felt much more like, you know, this is sort of the bullshit noise of Washington, D.C., and everybody's, like, so worried about the symbolism. Like, I was more caring about, like, are we actually going to have a real peace? Like, you know, are the Taliban actually going to be able to hold the line with their people? And, you know, are they going to splinter into a million little pieces? And are we going to have to, like, kind of have, you know, the Taliban of, you know, of of Kabul and the Taliban of, you know, Mazar-e-Sharif and the Taliban of Arat? And, like, each one we're going to have to try and make another deal with. And that's just going to be a total shit show. Like, if they end up splintering, like, the, the extent that the group that is being represented – you know, during the talks, like my question is in a very real way. Um, hold on one sec. Yeah, what's up? Can we get
1: to listen of the 2062s for the best?
2: Yes. Sorry. Hold on one second. Sorry, Paul. Uh,
1: Jonathan may or may not be able to tell us why he needs to put us on hold. But this is not unusual. If you can maybe imagine being his parents right now talking to him you know once a week and you hear him step away this happens all the time if you have never spoken to someone who is in a combat zone um this is this is normal their normal is not our normal and especially on 9-11 I think that's a powerful thing for us to consider right now as you listen to this wherever you are we're going to hold on the line and Maybe just to keep some perspective on what's happening back here. Uh, it's 12.05 Eastern time in New York. Uh, Trump and the first lady just participated in a moment of silence at the Pentagon, which is important to note because the Pentagon and Pennsylvania are often forgotten as most of the attention centers on nine eleven in New York. Um, I think it's an important moment to share that so many other places were affected as well. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that Trump started the day by talking about a hypothetical poll and blasting the pollsters at Amazon, uh, what what he calls Amazon Washington post. And then he talks about crooked Hillary, sleepy Joe, Pocahontas, and uh, a phony suppression poll and a bunch of other shit that is Disappointingly typical, um, but that's how the day started in the White House um, and then progressed toward more attacks on the quote unquote fake news and then running over to the Pentagon for a ceremony. I don't know where else Trump will be today, but uh, we will continue to stay on the line and hope that Jonathan is OK and that he can rejoin us. If he can't, we will pick it up where we left off when we can. Um, but this is Angry Americans. This is real radio. And we're talking to Jonathan, who is in Afghanistan doing something right now. Okay, so we lost Jonathan. He is back now. Uh,
3: are it's you just with us? A technical glitch.
1: <laughs> so uh, while you were gone, I explained to everyone that this is normal. Sometimes you're talking to someone in Afghanistan and they have to go. And it could be because. Of something bad, or it could be something not so bad. Um, so, yeah. wh- what happened?
2: Yeah, no, nothing. Ha- actually, one of my uh, one of my NCOs had to come in and get uh, some body armor for some guys who were headed out in the morning, and and uh, I have all the I have all the forms, and and then uh, basically my my phone and my computer uh, decided that they wanted to not be cooperative. So I hit. An, I'm in another room, and so I may sound a little more echoey because.
0: That's Duty calls, man. man. Duty room. calls,
1: if there, if there's ever excuse, roll. If, if there's ever a good excuse to put someone on hold, it's because you're in Afghanistan and shit happens. So are you yeah. good to pick up where <laughs> we left off?
2: Totally good to pick up. Okay. I just you're don't good. remember let me, what, let me what, what we're, we're talking, talking about. about.
1: While, while you were gone, I was kind of setting the stage for what was happening simultaneously in America while we're on the phone. Trump is at the Pentagon. Um, earlier this morning, he attacked the fake news and called elizabeth warren pocahontas um and it's kind so of a sad typical um attitude that we've gotten out of there but i think it, it was important to lose you for a couple minutes because i think anyone listening um maybe you got into a little zone where you're like okay listen to two guys have a conversation and it's like oh shit, he's in afghanistan we don't know what's happening right now and we didn't know right. if it was an nco coming in to get body armor or if it was incoming landing on your tent
2: right that's absolutely true. Yeah, no. Uh um, so absolutely true. So what's
1: that let me let me ask you to to answer something specific. What is it like for your parents? For your family,
2: okay. for your loved ones? I mean I mean I I mean I you know, people always sort of talk about it and I feel like they pay it lip service, but like I would hate to be my parents or my you know, my loved one, you know, my my siblings and whatnot. Like they I mean I remember I once said to one of my sisters, you know, that I was going back Uh, Actually, it was last time, in 2011. And she stared at me and she said, you know, this isn't just happening to you. It's happening to the rest of us also. And it never struck me until that moment about how much challenge that I was basically inflicting on the people who I care and love the most about. And, I mean, I think unless you've really lived it, and, and in fairness, I have not. I have not had a loved one who was gone. Uh, In you know in combat in the same way. I mean I've had buddies that have gone and been in combat uh, But I've never had like, you know a close family friend One of my best friends who ironically like we've served on all three all three of our previous tours. We overlapped and we went we met actually for the first time on uh, my first tour Really close friends close to his wife close to his kids. He's the best And, uh, you know, he told me I was an idiot when I said I was signing up for this one. He said, you're totally, you're a fucking moron. Um, But, like, I don't know what it's like. I mean, I really don't. I mean, we can say that we do. You know, we can, you know, and we talk about how our military families are heroes. I mean, we say a lot of things, but I don't think we have the first clue about the pain and frustration. I mean, imagine, you know, I mean... I mean, even you haven't done it. Like, I mean, imagine like one of your kids is deployed and like, you know, you gotta be, af- you know, you almost have, to- you have to figure out how to not be afraid of every knock at the door. Yep.
1: yep. You know? my, my, when yeah. I, when I deployed, my mother um, pretty much sold her TV and my dad watched everything, like in their divorce, but they both approached it differently. And I think, I think quite frankly, I've told my family members, I think it's harder for them because we know in the yeah. moment when we're safe and when we're not. We know it's a big deal and what's not. They don't know. Exactly. And, they're not, they're not and, and, and the not knowing the anxiety of looking at the TV or waiting for a knock at the door in my view is so much more emotionally traumatizing. It's so much more draining. It's so much more stressful to just not know. I mean, there are plenty of times Absolutely. when frankly, you're eating a hamburger and you're fine and you're laughing and you're okay. Yeah. But it's kind of like, someone told me once that when when, it, when, when someone you're dating or married cheats on you, the person they cheat on you with is the most gorgeous, most spectacular, it's the most amazing sex they've ever had in their life. That's what your mind goes to. And similarly, when you're a parent or a loved one, you think that you are in, you know, blackhawk Down every five minutes when that's not right. what it is. And I think it's I think it's much, much harder.
2: Yeah no, or you're or you're in the first you know twenty minutes of Saving Private Ryan, right? And right. you know at most, at most for a lot of us in at, you know certainly on the officer side uh, because we, we just you know we have a different job set. Yeah. Um, you know we're so you, in one of those gotta, situations maybe keep, once or m- twice a tour. Yeah. sorry, say again. I said I said we're in one of those situations maybe once or twice a tour. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, I mean and it depends on your job, year, right? It t- totally, it totally, totally yeah. You know, no, if no, no. If an infantry <laughs> platoon leader is totally <laughs> different than, you know, if you're a logistical officer. And not to say that, you know, I mean, I love my logies but you know, like uh the bottom line is uh, but you know, but at the same time, like, you know, it's also that trauma, you know, affects people differently and 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 I didn't appreciate that necessarily until I mean, I was hit by a blast in 2000 uh 2007 during that tour. And I, you know, that evening, you know, I was, I was bullshitting about it. One of my other NCOs was bullshitting about it. The other NCO, like, really had a rough time. We're like, dude, you, you need to go talk to somebody. And this is before we knew all sorts of stuff about TBI and about, you know, about PTSD and about, like, all sorts of things. So these were the days when people were getting out and they everybody called PTSD depression. You know, we're one step away from the shell shock that people used to talk about in World War II and Vietnam. Um I think uh that's actually one one actually bit of good news. You know everybody complains about the VA and I know that you know they're usually in your crosshairs literally and figuratively but like you know we've gone so far in terms of in terms of military health. Um if if there is nothing else that we can be happy about in this conflict um it is that we have gotten we have gotten so much better at how uh we are trying to do everything we can to respect our families, the fam- the sacrifice that our families go through for this. We are so much better at how we honor our fallen than we ever have been in any war. Um, and we are so much better at, um, at trying to, at seeing signs of and dealing with um, behavioral health. And are we there yet? Absolutely not. We are absolutely not there. But like, if you think of the days even the days like when you and I first joined to now, it's just, it's a night and day difference.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, and there's, um, there's, an old, there's an old saying that the only victor in war is medicine. And I think that is, that yeah. is true, the innovation around everything from, um, you know, frankly, toxin exposures to amputations to um, mental health to women's care. I mean, it, it's all way too slow. And, um, never effective enough, but the advances have been accelerated in a way that only happened in combat and only happened as a result of war. So I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought that up. I want to be it, mindful of your time because you are
2: yeah, yeah, no, no literally, literally, just to, literally just to literally let me, let me pass, let quick, pass one quick, quick, quick sorry, hold on one second. It's Jack, I'll ask
1: you to qu- do one thing. Yeah. We're, we, because of the delay, we end up talking yeah. over each other a little bit. And so oh, for folks listening, I'll ask for your patience on that. But, um, I'll Sorry. try to be a little bit more deliberate in my pauses. If you can be a little bit more deliberate in yours, I think it'll help. Um, but what I was going to say is um, being mindful of your time, and you are in what i doing literally, I think, one of the most important jobs in the world uh, on the front lines of America's war. While many folks are going to come home and watch, you know, Thursday Night Football and uh, the latest from the Kardashians, um, I want to make sure <laughs> I do ask you, you know, the other. Um, core question of this show, which is which is Jonathan, and I'm going to call you Jonathan X. Jonathan X, what makes you
2: angry? So, what makes me angry? Um, so, there are two things. I'm going to go two things. Uh, I'm going to take the, the opportunity to do that. Um, so, for, for being over here, uh, the thing that makes me angry is, is that there are some simple things that we still just suck at. Like after eighteen years, man, we are still so bad at sort of being able to to see a soldier that just does not belong in a combat theater and being like, you you need to go home and 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 have and it just the bureaucracy of it takes so long. Um, and uh, you know, when we're having this conversation over over a drink, I'll tell you more, but. Uh, I mean I've just seen it like there are people they they drain the system because like I I have very very you know we have very very few people in theater and you know every special case like takes up a lot of time and we're just really bad at it and at this point we shouldn't be we have no excuse so this self inflicted pain in general that we do to ourselves that makes me angry Um, I would say from a from a general, uh, a more general kind of America thing, um, I think what makes me angry, and, and in this, I actually have to do a shout out back to you. I mean, we mentioned Rob Sarah earlier. I had no, you know, I had no idea that this was a problem, and I think it's a, sort of the same thing for a lot of people. You know, like you, John Stewart, you know, all these great guys who are telling everybody about about these kinds of problems. The fact that it had to be justified to anyone that it was important. Like these kinds of things that that you know, just people should just know better. They Just like do the right thing. Like I mean, that's what we were all all taught as officers. You know, when when no one's looking, you do the right thing. The fact that somebody has to justify that, even though people have been using nine eleven as a punching bag for eighteen years, literally, to justify everything from atro- atrocities to stupid to greatness, um, that they cannot step up you know that it took time and effort from anyone and certainly from an american like rob sarah um like that 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 infuriates me mm. thank you for sharing that man okay well it would not be angry americans if you didn't get the car question
1: so Absolutely. jonathan J- jonathan x what was your first car
2: so i had a geostorm i'm dating myself i had a blue geostorm and it was in automatic my father felt that, that I should have that kind of a car because not an automatic, it was a standard, it was a stick shift. My father felt that I should have a stick shift because that would help make me pay attention more to the road. I don't know that he was right, but I think it was a good goal, um, you know. But it was a pretty cool car, you know. It was, it was a it was a two door, uh, you know, shift shift car, and I, uh, you know, I I had the task because my parents like helped pay pay a little bit for the car. Uh, I had the task of, of taking some strain off of their, their logistics uh, on a daily basis. I had to drive my sisters to and from school. Uh, but I got my revenge as the annoying older brother, and I played inappropriate music uh, in the school parking lot. And inappropriate music, of course, when you are a teenage girl, uh, is not necessarily you know, some sort of rap or funk music. I played Disney tunes. Um, you know, which of course, you know, made them sink into the car and be like, "Oh my God, my brother's the worst."
1: Mm. So you are the first. So, I, you, you and I are going to agree on many things. We will not agree on the 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 uh, the st- statement that the Geostorm Storm is a cool car. Um, I don't. That, <laughs> that I, I was looking it up. The Geostorm was actually produced, manufactured by Isuzu and sold the U.S. by Geo only from nineteen ninety 1990 to nineteen ninety three. So yep. um, the Afghanistan war has been in production like twenty
2: times longer than the <laughs> this point. <laughs> However, I mean, when you're a sixteen year old kid, it feels like a pretty cool car because you have. I bet you there's you know, some Geo Storms
1: in Afghanistan somewhere. Like do you see any totally really? True. Do you see any really fucking random cars? I mean, we saw them in Iraq. We see them in different. But was there any? Because yeah, no, I mean, like.
2: Like in Iraq, like everybody was like, oh, there's a bad guy and he's in a white bongo truck. And, you know, as, as for those lit witnesses, for those for those of your listeners who have never been, uh, never, you know, been to th- been to Iraq or whatnot, you know, a white bongo truck is literally it's like a white pickup truck that everybody had. Um, yeah, you
1: know. every 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 car bomb, every VVID vehicle, borne improvised explosive device was a white sedan. And I, yeah, it was always a white sedan with like an orange quarter panel or something, which was basically seventy five percent of the cars on the road in Baghdad right so exactly and and of so, course
2: and of course you always got the you know the term was always a bolo, which is a, an acronym of course, because we can never have too many acronyms of be on the lookout so be on the lookout for one of the cars that seventy five percent of the cars so nothing, so no, like,
1: no no surprise vehicles
2: no I mean. No, I mean I haven't been on the road as much on this tour at all as I was the last tour. So, um but it seems like everybody has a Toyota Hilux. That seems to be the car that I, I see, you know, those pickups seem to be, you know, the ones that I see everywhere.
1: But we we um, uh we normally would would have a whiskey, but like and I know the rules are changing, one of the things that most folks may not realize is that it's not Vietnam and there are not brothels and people getting hammered all the time, like they saw in the Vietnam movies. But can you tell us what, what are actually, what are the rules right now for your unit in Afghanistan with regard to drinking?
2: Yeah. So still, still no drinking, um, which I think, you know, is not a bad idea. I mean, if, even if, um, I mean, some people have said it's the origin is because of it, because it's a Muslim country. I honestly don't know. Um, you know, whether that but I mean, like, let's face it, like some, some of our fellow service members who may be fantastic in a combat scenario are not necessarily fantastic under the influence and under the influence and having firearms is not like quite a good mixture.
0: Right,
1: right. But you can't even go to a base out of the line of fire on when you're on R&R to get a drink. You got to literally leave the country and be in in a different place rotating that, back the, to the yeah, world on hour to get a drink
2: that that is correct i mean there are certainly like so we have the the idea of general order number one which is public and people can look it up but basically it's the no drinking no sex no you know everything that we would enjoy um, No fun no fun allowed yeah yeah no fun
1: the the military and afghanistan combined are the ultimate in fun police
2: that, that is that
1: is absolutely accurate. okay well I want to ask you one more question and then, and then, sure. and then I'm like let, the piece that gets lost here, Jonathan is the the people of Afghanistan you you have been to Iraq, you've been now in Afghanistan for, for a significant amount of time. what what should Americans know about the people of Afghanistan because I used to say all the time every Iraqi is not running around with an RPG on their shoulder. They were a brilliant dynamic, funny, inspiring people and they're not a monolith. But but based on yeah. your experience as also kind of a, a social psychologist and, and a very educated worldly guy, what what do you think Americans should know about the people of Afghanistan?
2: So I um, I really enjoyed the people of Iraq. I really enjoy the people of Afghanistan. Um, they have a rich, very proud. Uh, both have rich, very proud cultures, but I, I find that there's a very there is a distinctive difference. And I think that a lot of people, you know, certainly, you know, the nuances get lost on people. Iraq, Afghanistan, you know, nobody could quite tell the difference. And that sadly happened even amongst our soldiers. But there is a definite difference. Like, this culture is much more honor-bound. It's a very honor-bound culture and uh, a very proud culture. Um, And I think to a certain extent... um, that happens a lot when you, to a certain extent, when you have so little, when, you've, when the only thing you know is war, like, um, you know, honor and pride end up being the currency of the realm, because it certainly isn't wealth. Um, I, so I would say that uh, there is a warmth to, um, to the Afghan people that is um, very sincere uh, and very sweet, and and you know, I mean, I unlike you, I mean, you were raised on Long Island, you know, in a in a blue collar family. I know, I was raised in Iowa, you know, in a very Upstate rural is setting. Very
1: different from Long Island. Upstate New York is very different from Long Island. It's as different from Long Island as Afghanistan is from Iraq. So I must correct you on that one. But you, yeah. please continue. You grew up uh, not in Long Island, but
2: in a location. But, of, yeah, undisclosed location yeah. or. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, grew up, I grew up in Iowa. I am a proud Iowan. Um, I don't have a problem with that one. Uh, but, but, you know, it's just, it's, um, you know, there's a warmth to the Midwest. Probably we can just, just say the Midwest. So, I mean, I grew up in the Midwest, you know, in a rural community. And uh, the Midwest, you know, people, people just, you know, it, there's, just, there's a warmth to people. And I find a, ve- a lot of similarity with the Afghan people in that regard. Um, and maybe it's just something about being more rural. Um, I really thought you had grown up on on, on Long Island and not no, in upstate okay. New York. So my wife, my, my wife is my wife is from
1: from Long Island, but all of us New Yorkers sound the same to people on the outside. Um, <laughs> and, and Trump's <laughs> kind of ruined You, it. Trump, you accuse Trump, us Trump from being from flyover there. states, so. No, but it, I think it's is a really powerful theme there. I mean, it, it's. I think that's a, that's a sharp analysis. There's almost uh, the people of Afghanistan. It's almost like a samurai culture, or almost like a you know, a cowboy culture or something that we could probably relate to in the Midwest or, you know, the frontiersmen, or the Western American culture or even the Canadian absolutely. culture. There's a purity to it. It's so connected to the land and connected to the grit that defines Afghanistan. I mean, people of Afghanistan are more like the people of Texas than probably most people would imagine, right?
2: I think that's absolutely true. and And, you know, it's not just, I mean, you know, Texans, you know, are about guns and beef and that kind of thing. You know, I mean, people, in, I mean, you know, folks in America, folks in Texas, I mean, there's a big heartedness to them. I think there's a very much of a big heartedness to the Afghan people. And, um, and, and I think, I think you have, you hit the nail on the head with that one. Um, well,
1: there's a, there's a, there's a big heartedness to you and a generosity to you and an inspiration to you and just a, a tremendous embodiment of patriotism to you and you know i asked you to to talk to me from over there on 9-11 which is just a a crazy fucking thing to do um but you rolled with it and you know i know how important um you believe it is for people to understand you know our collective experience and what's happening and and the stakes that are in play in these times but on a very personal level thank you for all that you've done and all you've sacrificed and all that your family has sacrificed and i promise you you will have an unlimited open bar tab at the classic car club when you get back and you're picking any car, any car Geostorm storm sits a very low, low bar. So if you want to drive the Lambo, there's an awesome Lincoln in there. There's all kinds of really cool shit. And, you know, I, I promise you, you will have it for an entire week if you need it,
2: uh, to just go around and look for geo storms that you can race. I, I appreciate it. But I want to, I want to leave you off with one, with one moment, uh, that, uh, uh, we have the we have the f sixteens taking off in the background, uh, if you end up, if you can actually hear that. Um I want to leave you with one quick thought, since it's a car moment. Uh, I feel like I may have if i let you I may have let you down with the Geostorm, So I had a great moment. A friend of mine owned a porsche in uh, and he was driving back he, he lives on Long Island. He was in New York City. and it was like one of those perfect fall nights in New York that you only know when you've lived in New York. You know, it's just this perfect, like 60 something degrees, and it's just the air is clean and crisp. And we put down the top and we drove all the way down. I think it was, it must have been Fifth Avenue, because this is, we were, we were north and we're driving south. Maybe it was Sixth Sixth Avenue, you drive south? Anyway, one of those, Fifth or Sixth Avenue, I can't remember which, I apologize. Um, It's been seven months since I was in New York, so somebody will forgive me, I hope. But we just had this, like, all the way downtown all the way to the World Trade Center from from Midtown and it was just one of these perfect New York City moments where you just got all green lights and you' just driving down through the greatest city in the world. so um, I had that moment it was one of those great life moments and you just like take a moment out to appreciate and so uh, but similar to that listen I have appreciated every minute of your show that I have heard I am a couple episodes behind I know you of all people will forgive me I want to thank you very much for persevering through technical challenges to make this happen it's been just a privilege and an honor uh, both to be a guest on your show to be your friend and, and I look forward to having that drink
1: thank you my brother be safe over there we look forward to toasting you at home soon and our deepest thanks to everybody in your unit and everybody in your orbit over there we love you guys we miss you and uh, we're thinking about you always and especially on this show we never forget so thank you man and uh look forward thank to you. seeing you soon in person man giving you a big hug all right i look forward to it all right and and no one one note fifth avenue goes downtown you were right fifth avenue does go downtown i looked it up and Fifth Avenue. i don't know i'm from new york and sometimes i screw it up but fifth avenue <laughs> does go downtown and you were correct so <laughs> with that we're going to go downtown with this show and wrap it up here Um, live from I Am Downtown in Manhattan and Jonathan X is in Afghanistan. Angry Americans live on 9-11 from New York City and Afghanistan.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system.
1: All right, this has been a heavy show, but an important show and i'm grateful that you stayed with us it's time to turn that anger frustration inspiration into positive impact it's time to be a helper just like so many were after 9/11 you know
3: my mother used to say a long time ago whenever there would be any really cat- catastrophe that was on the in the movies or or on the air she would say always look for the helpers. There, were, there will always be helpers. You know, even just on the sidelines. That's why I think that if news programs could make a conscious effort of showing rescue teams, of, of showing who uh, medical people, a- anybody who is coming into a place where there's a tragedy, to be, to be sure that they include that, because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope.
1: Every show, I try to give you a way to convert your righteous anger into positive action. A positive action that shows that angry Americans can also be impactful Americans. An action that channels your energy, makes you feel good, and makes a difference. And like this show, our actions are always packed with the four eyes: Integrity, information, impact, and inspiration. This week, you can be a helper, just like firefighter Stephen Siller. Firefighter Stephen Siller was the youngest of seven children born to May and George Siller. At the age of eight, Stephen lost his father. And a year and a half later, his mother passed, leaving him an orphan to be raised by his older siblings. And he went through a period of struggle, but had the love of his siblings and the values instilled in him by his parents. And he grew up to be an extraordinary guy and a firefighter. And more than most, he knew that time was precious. He accomplished a lot in his 34 years on September 11 2001 Stephen Siller who was assigned to Brooklyn squad one had just finished his shift and was on his way to play golf with his brothers when he got word over his scanner of a plane hitting the north tower of the World Trade Center when he heard the news Siller called his wife Sally and asked her to tell his brothers that he'd catch up with him later he returned to squad one to get his gear he drove his truck into the entrance of the Brooklyn battery tunnel but it was closed for security Determined to carry out his duty, he strapped 60 pounds of gear on his back and he raced on foot through the tunnel to the Twin Towers where he gave up his life helping others. Stephen had everything to live for. A great wife, five wonderful children, a devoted family, great friends. His parents were lay Franciscans and he grew up under the guiding philosophy of St. Francis of Assisi, whose encouraging and inspirational phrase were the words that Stephen lived by. While we have time, let us do good. Stephen's life and his heroic death are a reminder to all of us to live life to the fullest and spend our time on earth here doing good. That's his legacy. The mission of the Stephen Siller Tunnel to Towers Foundation is to honor the sacrifice of Stephen Siller, who laid down his life to help others. They also honor military and first responders who continue to make the supreme sacrifice of life and limb for our country. Every year, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation does a national run, walk, and climb series created to retrace the final footsteps of Stephen Siller. After he strapped on his gear and ran through the Hugh L. Carey Tunnel, formerly known as the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel, to the Twin Towers, this run, walk, climb series pays homage to all the first responders and service members who made and continue to make extraordinary sacrifices in the line of duty. The Siller Foundation helps fallen first responders. When cops or firefighters go down, they step up. And the fallen first responder home program pays off the remaining mortgages for families left behind when a firefighter or cop is killed in the line of duty. Tunnel to Towers deploys a quick response team to provide immediate support. I've seen it. I know the family. I've seen the work. Time and time again, they do the job. And they also support Gold Star families and vets. Their signature event is the Tunnel to Towers 5K in New York. It's September 29th at 9.30 a.m. I do it almost every year, and I invite you to join us here in New York, but you don't have to be in New York City. In the next few weeks, they have runs happening all across the country and all around the world, from Kandahar in Afghanistan to Biloxi, Mississippi, Sioux City, Iowa, Salt Lake City, Utah, Vero Beach, Florida. You can run, you can walk, you can raise money, or you can just spread the word. Go to tunnel2towers.org. Tunnel, the number 2towers.org. In 2018, They hosted 55 walks, runs, and tower climbs, and in 2019, they want to expand all across the country from Cleveland to Richmond to Perry, Georgia, and hopefully a city near you. So check out the listings and find a Tunnel to Towers 5K walk or tower climb near you, or you can just help raise money or spread the word. Get out there, run, walk, holler, do something. Be a helper. If you got a story to tell or a resource to share, find us on social media and use the hashtag Angry Americans and let me know. Don't just be angry. Be active and never forget. Big thanks to a few folks who helped make this episode happen. Jonathan who called all the way from Afghanistan, all the other men and women who are serving there right now and around the world, Les Gelb for being the best mentor a guy could have asked for, and his wife, Judy, for showing me what a family should look like and what a truly loving and supporting couple look like. And to Caroline, Todd, and the entire Gelb family, I know this is a hard time, and I just want to send all our love and our deepest thanks. I also want to thank creative Chris Rosenthal, mighty Mercy Rich, excellent Eric Schaumborn, they all help me crank this stuff out. They're part of the great team at Righteous Media. Bill Schultz for producing this episode again and always being a helper with his audio magic. Mizzen and Maine are founding sponsors of the show. Oscar Mike are awesome merch partners. Check out the new designs at AngryAmericans.us now. Made in America by veterans. Sean Ullman, Jeremy Butler, and the rest of the team at IAVA for keeping up the fight, especially around suicide this month and for our 9-11 first responders. And, of course, our spirit animal for this show, Rob Serra, for kicking ass on Twitter, on TV, and everywhere. And some quick thank of listeners. Every week I thank a few angry Americans for listening. First up, John Miller from Australia. He's rocking a great sweater in his profile picture. He tweets it, johnjmiller seven six five. He wrote, As an Australian who has served alongside American troops, I can say I love angry Americans. It's what the USA truly stands for. Cheers and thank you. I'm not going to try to do an Australian accent, but thank you to you, sir. Next up, Pissed Off Centrist. Real name unknown, but tweets that I blame everyone. He or she is a voter forced to join Twitter to converse with my elected officials. Research nerd, red tape translator, potential cat lady. Okay, I guess it's a woman. uh, And forgotten Gen Xer. Uh, Pissed Off Centrist tweeted, I loved listening to last week's show on my way back home after evacuation. Thanks also to the shout out for military bases you mentioned that are evacuated. You got it, Pissed Off Centrist. Thank you. And lastly, Joe Hippelman, co-founder of Assault Forward. He's from Maryland. He is a passionate, focused, and dedicated marketing leader. I've known Joe for a long time. Uh, He has over a 1,000 days of combat experience, and he runs Assault Forward, which is awesome. Assault Forward is accessories and apparel for veterans and patriotic Americans made in the USA, 100% veteran-owned and operated, so check them out. Uh, And he said he was watching his friend and advocate, me, on CNN discuss the issues of the day. To hear more, listen to his insightful podcast, Angry Americans. If you're not angry, you're not paying attention. Word. Thank you, Joel, and thank you to all of you who tweet. Uh, I see you, and I appreciate you. And always, as always, thanks to my family, my wife and my two amazing boys, especially this week. This week, we again hosted a dinner that we host every year on 9-11, and it's a celebration of life dinner. And my wife and now the two boys are the hosts with me, and they make everyone feel at home and feel happy, and they remind everyone what life is all about. You guys, you're my reason for everything. You're the walking, talking, laughing celebrations of life every single day, and I'm grateful for you. And last night, my family went on to our roof to look at the 9-11 lights. You can see them from my son's window, and he asked me what they were, and I tried to explain to him that the two big buildings used to be there. But I also told him it was the day that firefighters were very brave. And today, on 9-11, when we woke up, he was happy and excited because firefighter Rob Sarah is coming to our house for dinner tonight. And because I told him today was largely about firefighters and about celebrating them. And that means fire trucks. So a day that I used to dread is now a day that my son thinks is like Christmas. Because if you like fire trucks, New York city on nine 11 is like Christmas. And for that perspective and joy, enjoy, from my son and so many other children, I'm grateful. And finally, as always, my thanks to you, dear listener, for tuning in, especially this week, which I know was heavy, but I hope inspiring. Please continue to tell your friends to check this podcast out. And if you're on an Apple device, leave a quick review. Give us some five stars. It'll help. Check out angryamericans.us. It continues to be improved weekly. And check out the video section. Uh, and use the hashtag angry americans and let me know what you think and maybe i'll thank you in a future episode definitely keep the feedback coming i see you i hear you and i'm with you and next week we will be back with a fresh new show and a very cool interview one of our best most powerful and most interesting so far trust me it'll leave a mark and until then stay focused stay tuned subscribe for free and share we'll keep this movement growing by the week and remember it's okay to be angry and know you're not alone we're all a little angry and that's because we're paying attention and together we can turn that vigilant anger into positive impact and honor the true spirit of 9-11 I'm your host Paul Rykoff thanks for listening stay vigilant America